Oh, yo.
Well, amen. You be praying for them, too, because they're going to be um, on the road this week, right? They're going to uh, be we, every year. The WMU in our county, uh, they host a wonderful event for the pastors and their wives and for the WMU leaders and their wives. And they have a wonderful meal. And uh, our children's choir will be singing this year at Deep Creek Baptist Church on Tuesday night. So I'll see a lot of you boys and girls looking forward to that uh, on Tuesday. So we'll look forward to seeing you. I know you'll be a blessing to those uh, there at uh, that special event. So uh, we appreciate the good work that you boys and girls do. Appreciate Jennifer and all those who work with our children's choir. I forgot to turn on my mic. All right, open your Bibles this morning, please, to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And if you have not yet, go ahead and be passing out that uh, sheet that is on your pew. It looks like uh, that right there. And I gave you a copy of that so you can have that, keep that, and kind of reference that as we go throughout this study. I went over that with you uh, last week, and so I won't rehash that, but it kind of uh, tells you where we are in our study. Kind of a big overview on uh, where we are. And uh, so keep a hold of that. And I'll give you some other things as we go through this study together, studying Revelation. I'll have another handout for you uh, on February the 1st as we get back into the series again next week. I already mentioned to you Baptist Men's Day, but then February the 1st, I'll uh, give you something else and kind of keep these things that will help you uh, as you go through the study with us. All right. So you'll find your place there in Revelation chapter 5. We'll be there in a moment. This past week, I read about Sam and Charlie, and Sam and Charlie were lifelong buddies. They shared many things in common, and the thing that they held most in common was their love for baseball. Now, I know we're in football season, and a lot of you guys are anxious to get home today and watch the Seahawks and Packers and so forth, but uh, Sam and Charlie love baseball. I love baseball. When there are many discussions, they would sometimes get to the question and discuss whether or not they thought that baseball was going to be in heaven. Is baseball going to be in heaven? And so, in fact, one day they made a pact together, these lifelong buddies, that whoever went to heaven first would find a way to let the other one know if indeed there was baseball in heaven. Well, not long afterwards, Sam passed away and went to heaven. And a few nights later, Charlie woke up in the middle of the night when he heard Sam's voice. Is that you, Sam? Charlie asked. Yeah, it's me, Sam replied. He said, remember that pact we made? Well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. What's the good news? Charlie asked. There's baseball in heaven, Sam replied. He said, that's so wonderful, Charlie said. So what's the bad news? Well, Sam replied, you're the starting pitcher on Friday. (laughs) Now, I don't know if there's going to be baseball in heaven or not, but we're learning a lot about heaven. In fact, last week we were ushered into the very throne room of God and we saw some wonderful things. And this morning we're going to return to that throne room to see some remarkable things take place here in Revelation chapter 5. So I'm ready to dive in. I hope you are. We're going to ask you in just a moment to stand. Now, I heard your cries. And so those of you who say, preacher, please, please make the scripture larger. So I've heard your cries and I've labored long and hard. So this is as good as I can get it. And so hopefully those in the back can see that. Now, if you cannot see that, you've heard of backsliding, right? If you can't see it, you need to upslide. <laughs> you know what upsliding is, right? That means you move up, okay? So let's stand together. We're going to read the scripture this morning, if you would, please. We'll read it off the screen together, and then you can follow along your Bible. We'll be going back and forth here. But I want us all to read it together and uh, as we look at this wonderful picture of the throne room of God. Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 14. Let's read it together. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. 
So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea, And all that are in them, I heard say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray your richest blessing upon this time. Speak to our hearts. May we respond in obedience and faith. Holy Spirit, have your willing way in our midst today, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and reading the Bible with me. Now, last week in chapter 4, we saw that John described the throne room of God and the one who sat upon it. On the throne is God the Father. In fact, if you glance back to chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And so when John looked at the throne of God, he described what he saw in these precious stones and, and what was amazing to him. But now as he looks again at the throne, he sees the right hand of God. And in the right hand of God is a scroll or a book. Now, back in those days, it would be a scroll. And he sees this scroll in the hand and he notices this scroll is written on the inside and on the outside. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now, please don't miss the scroll and don't underestimate the importance of this scroll. This scroll plays a key part in our study. And you're going to see that as we continue studying the book of Revelation. But the question on everybody's mind today, I'm sure, is what is this scroll? What is the scroll? What's written in the scroll? What's on the inside? What's on the outside? Why is it so important? Well, there are various views as to what this scroll really is. There are many scholars who see this scroll as the title deed, that is the deed to the earth or the deed to the world. And not only the deed, but also how Jesus is going to reclaim that which belongs to him already. Robert Thomas simply sees it as a scroll containing judgments that will fall upon the earth. Moffat called it a scroll of doom. And you'll understand more why he called it that as we study. But while it may be the title deed to the earth or to the world, while it may be the son's inheritance, we know for sure what Revelation tells us. The scroll obviously contains the counsels of God, the judgments that are going to fall upon the earth beginning at chapter six. Now, we're in chapter five. We're in a heavenly vision. 
The tribulation has not yet begun more than likely. There's maybe a small period of time that takes place. You see that on those dashes on that overview I gave you. But tribulation's coming. We'll begin studying that next time in Revelation chapter 6. But Card notes that when the Lamb breaks the seals, he begins to open the scroll. It not only dis- discloses what's written in it, it also activates the contents. It also sets in motion what the scroll contains. And we see the judgments begin to flow. And we'll talk about bowls and trumpets and so forth later on. More on that next time. But today, John is there in this heavenly vision. God is upon his throne and he sees the right hand of God and he sees in the right hand of God this scroll. And we find that in verse two, there is a proclamation. Look back at verse two in chapter five. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now, imagine put yourself, if you will, in John's place there. He's in heaven in the spirit, seeing these things and this strong, mighty angel stands forth and he begins a proclamation. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to loose these seals, to break these seals? Notice the call is not for someone simply uh, who is willing. But one who is worthy. In other words, not just anybody's going to do. There has to be a worthy one who will take the scroll. And so you have this proclamation in verse number two, but then we have a problem in verse three. Verse three says, and no one notice no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. No one is found worthy all throughout heaven. Nobody's found worthy up on the earth. No one's found worthy under the earth. No one's found worthy. All searches come up empty. No one is found worthy to take the scroll and to open the scroll and to break the seals. And we know that John, as he sees this, is overtaken with emotion. In fact, verse four says, so I wept much. John began to weep. He says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And the question is, why is John weeping? Why is he says, I'm weeping much. I'm crying much. Not just a little bit, but a whole lot. Well, remember at the beginning of this heavenly scene back in chapter four, look at chapter four, verse one. John says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door opened in heaven And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, watch it. Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And so John's in heaven. He begins to see the throne of God and all these wonderful things. And he gets to this vision. He's waiting to be shown these things. And now it's like he's at a standstill. Nobody's found worthy. There's this scroll there and nobody's found worthy to open it. Nobody can reveal the contents. Is that why he's weeping? He's come this far on the journey and now it seems he's hit a dead end. Maybe the great preacher W.A. Criswell said that those tears of the Apostle John are the tears of Adam and Eve driven out of the Garden of Eden as they bowed over their first grave. As they water the dust of the ground with their tears over the silent and still form of that son, Abel. Those are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried to God in their affliction and in their agony. These are the tears of God's elect through the centuries as they cried into heaven. These are the sobs and the tears that have been wrung from the heart and the soul of God's people as they look on their silent dead, as they stand beside their open graves, as they experience in the trials and the sufferings of life, those heartaches and those disappointments indescribable. He said, death is the curse that sin and transgression has laid upon God's beautiful creation. And this is the damnation of the hand of him that holds it. That usurper, that interloper, that intruder, that alien, that stranger, that dragon, that serpent, that Satan devil. And I wept audibly for it meant consigned forever. This earth, this earth remains in its curse for it meant that death and sin And damnation and hell should reign forever and ever. And the sovereignty of God's earth should remain forever in the hand of Satan. What he's saying is this. If nobody can take this scroll, if nobody can open this scroll, then who is going to right the wrongs in our world? Who's going to deliver us from the curse? Who's going to deliver us from all these things? And John is there and John is weeping. 
And he's weeping because no one and anywhere is found worthy to open the scroll. Who will right the wrongs in our world? It was the great expositor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who made the observation there are four things that are out of place in our universe today. You know what those four things are? Four things out of place in our universe. He said, number one, the church. The church is out of place. We should be in heaven. The church is out of place. Number two, Israel is out of place. Israel should be occupying all the land promised to her. He said, third, Satan is out of place today. You know why? He should be in the lake of fire. And fourth, Christ. Christ should be seated on his throne reigning forever and ever. What we're getting at here, beloved, is John realizes that the book ended here. We're in trouble. In fact, beloved, if the book ended here, if it got to this point where it says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book and the scroll, we all would be weeping. We'd all be weeping if it ended right here. But take heart, beloved, because after this great proclamation, which led to a problem, we find next to the book, there is a person that appears on the scene. John is told to stop crying. It says in verse five, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep, do not weep. Stop crying, John. There is one who will take the scroll. There is one who will open the scroll. And we're talking about, of course, beloved, the one and only the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the worthy one. He is the one who steps forward to take the scroll. Now, I want to walk through this passage with you. And I want you to notice, first of all, uh, how and why Jesus Christ is worthy. I want you to notice as we study here, he's worthy, first of all, because of who he is. He is worthy because of who he is. First of all, the Bible says here that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse five. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That takes us back to the first book of the Bible. Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10. You have the blessing there. Verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Notice verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Jesus is worthy because of who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he goes on to say next in verse five that uh, he is the root of David. He's the root of David. That takes us back to Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. It shall come to pass that in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He's the root of David. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then we find next, as we continue studying Revelation 5, he is the lamb who was slain. Now, it's interesting. The elder tells John, listen, stop crying. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. The root of David is worthy. But when John looks, expecting to see a lion, what does he see? He sees a lamb. He sees a lamb. Look there at uh, verse 6. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and in, of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. And not just a lamb, it says it stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He says, listen, stop crying, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah is going to to take and open the scroll. And he looks and instead of a lion, he sees a lamb and not just a lamb, but a lamb that had been slain standing there. It's a very interesting picture. Again, notice the symbolism here and, and what the representation is. It says this lamb had seven horns. Horns are about the idea of strength and power. The number seven is the idea of perfection, the perfect number. So you have here perfect power. Number of perfection. The symbol of, of power. So we'd say the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. He is all powerful. And then it says what? He has seven eyes. Seven eyes. 
And he goes on to say the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit in his full manifestation, if you will. They've gone out to all the earth. This would include omniscience, seeing all, perfect sight, omniscience, perfect knowledge. And also it says they've gone out to all the earth. That would be perfect presence, every omnipresence. So you have here Jesus Christ, who is all powerful, all knowing, all present. And he sees this lamb as it had been slain, but it's standing there. And of course, we know that Jesus, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And as he sees this lamb, apparently the lamb then takes on human form again as he goes out and reaches out to take the scroll from God's right hand. So Jesus is worthy, first of all, because of who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the lamb slain for the foundation of the world. He's worthy because of who he is, but he's also worthy because of what he's done. Look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now, I'll be honest with you, we could camp out on those two verses and we could preach a while. Those two verses are loaded. There's so much here. But I promised you as we started this second part of the series, we're going to move rapidly. So let me just touch on a few things. Okay. Notice, first of all, it says they sang a new song. They sang a new song. By the way, if you're against new songs, you're out of step with heaven. Because in heaven, they sang a new song. I love the old songs. I love new songs. But they sang a new song. I want you to notice what the new song was all about. A new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Now, he's worthy because of what he's done. Well, preacher, what has he done? Well, if you keep reading there, you notice that he has redeemed us by his blood. You're worthy to take the scroll and open his seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. He's redeemed us. In chapter four, we have God, the father on the throne, and he's being worshipped as creator. In chapter five, you have the lamb standing there in the throne of God, and he's being worshipped as redeemer. You have worship of creation and worship of redemption, if you will, the one who enacted those things. Now, of course, the whole Trinity was involved in all of that. But it's interesting to notice the focus as we look here. You know, there are those who want to get rid of the blood. Did you know that? They don't want to sing about the blood. They don't want to talk about the blood. They don't want to deal with the blood. They say, oh, that's so gross and not polluted. Listen, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And listen, as long as I'm the preacher, we're going to sing about the blood and preach about the blood. Be thankful for the blood. But Jesus in the Lord's Supper, he says, take, drink, remembering the blood. Why? Because without the blood, we're lost. And I notice here in heaven, they sing about the blood. Did you notice that? They said they sang a new song. The opening says, for you were slain and redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so what else do we find here? Well, we find that he's made us kings and priests to our God. Kings and priests, look around this morning. Those of us that are saved, we're kings and priests to our God. First Peter 2, 5 and 9. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We didn't bring a lamb or goat today. We brought our praise, our prayers, our worship. We're offering spiritual sacrifices. Verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What has he done, beloved? He's redeemed us by his blood. He's made us kings and priests to our God. Hallelujah. What a savior. He is worthy because of who he is. He is worthy because of what he's done. Did you notice the global emphasis here? It says there, you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. People of every language and color and strike. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you're a racist, you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. Well, it got real quiet. God 
sent His Son into the world to save everyone who will believe. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in His sight. And heaven is made up of those from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. If you're against someone because of the color of their skin or their language, you're a sinner in that regard. Because God loves them and God made them. And if you're a racist, you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. Because there's people of every stripe, color, nation, language together forever. As a global emphasis here. Did you notice also, I told you this is loaded. Did you notice the proof of the rapture here? We talked about the rapture. That's the next event. You see that on your little chart I gave you. We're looking for the rapture. We'll be caught up with the Lord in heaven. We believe the rapture's already taken place at this point. We're already home with heaven, in heaven with the Lord. Say, preacher, where do you see the rapture taking place? Where do you see a proof of the rapture there? Well, it's interesting. He says there in that uh, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open his seal for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, this is going on up in heaven and they're singing a new song and they say, listen, you've redeemed us. You've redeemed us. And at this place, there's those of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So obviously the rapture's already taken place. But it's interesting, there's even, a, I think, more proof here. Where it says, and have made us kings and priests to our God. So they're already in heaven. They're already worshiping the Lord. The rapture's taking place. But notice the last part of verse 10. And we shall reign on the earth. In other words, this is before the second coming. Because when Christ comes back in the second coming, we come with him to rule and to reign. So he says there, listen, you've redeemed us. You've made us. So the rapture's taking place. But the second coming hasn't. Why? And we shall reign on the earth. Not yet, but it's coming. Man, there's so much here. We could go on, but we're going to rush on. This worship, which begins here, begins to build and keep building and keep building. And we come to a point in this passage where apparently... This vision in heaven is even fast forwarded. And now in this vision, it, it is it, it appears this way that John now sees fast forwarded through time after the second coming. Why? Because it says that everyone is going to worship the land. Look at verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. Do that math, by the way, <laughs> innumerable host saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, notice verse 13 and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits in the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So I believe what we have here is a fast forwarding. And we're now beyond the second coming. We're now beyond all that because it says every creature in heaven, every creature on the earth, every creature in the sea, every creature everywhere. So I think we fast forward it. Why? It sounds a whole lot like Philippians 2, 8 to 11, doesn't it? Talking about Jesus and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. There's coming a day where every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every tongue will confess. Do you see the waves and waves that crescendo here into worship and praise for the Lord? What a glorious sight. As they worship. And would you notice, beloved, that the focus of the worship is not the setting. John didn't say, oh, I love the pews. I love the carpet. I love the floor. I love the chandeliers. No, he didn't say that. Did you notice the focus of the worship was not the preferences? I didn't really like the new song they sang in heaven. No, it wasn't that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Where's the focus here? On the lamb. The focus is on the lamb. The one who's worthy of worship. You see, the focus of the worship is upon this person, the one worthy. And by the way, the focus of our worship here is not upon the, uh, the beautiful setting or what we do or what we say or that song I like and that song I didn't like. Or I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. That doesn't matter. 
We're here to worship the one who's worthy of our worship. Our focus is upon God alone. Amen. I've got to help myself here. He's worthy because of who he is. He's worthy because of what he's done. But this leads me to remind you all this morning and myself as well. Beloved, he is worthy of our all. He's worthy of our all. Look again at verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Watch this now. You might want to underline these if you underline your Bible to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy of power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory and blessing. Now, beloved, don't misunderstand. He has all these things. He's God alone. He's the lamb. But he's also worthy of all these things. So I ask you today, have you given given him the power over your life? He's worthy. Have you given him the power of your life? Have you given him your money? Have you given him your mind? Have you given him your strength? Have you given him the honor for what he's done for you? Have you given him glory for the way he works in and through you? Have you given him blessing for all that he's given you? He is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy not just of some part of us, but all of us. All of our talents, all of our time, all of our treasure. It's time to stop thinking about our life in in compartmentalized pieces. The old Sunday I go and worship and Monday through Saturday is mine. No, beloved, every day, all the time, every moment, he's worthy. He's worthy of our all. Now, he already owns everything, yes, but he wants us to surrender these things to him. He wants all of us. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's worthy. Let me ask you, have you given your heart, your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? Has there been a time in your life where you realized you're a sinner, you're undone, you're destined for hell? Have you realized that? And you realize that Jesus Christ died for you, shed his precious blood for you, arose again for you. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in him, he will forgive you. He'll make you a king and priest to our God. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll give you all these wonderful things. He'll give you the forgiveness of sin and peace and hope and joy. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, today's the day. He's worthy. He's worthy. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. Now, for those who say, yes, preacher, I know that's settled. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. Was there anything in your life you're trying to hold on to? Is there something you're not willing to surrender? Have you truly made him Lord of all? See, he's worthy of a full surrender. He's worthy for us to live his living sacrifices. Not, well, Lord, you can have these nine things. I'm keeping this tenth thing. No, he's worthy of it all. It's time to quit playing games. It's time to quit messing around. It's time to be 100% sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy. He's worthy. What do you give him our all? And you might be wondering today, is the Christian life really worth it? Is it really worth it? Is it worth it to live the Christian life? Well, beloved, look at the scene before us in Revelation 4 and 5. Every creature is crying out in worship. It's the idea of worship. You are worthy. You're worthy to receive this. Beloved, this life is short. Only what's done for Christ will last. Are you living for Jesus or not? Are you going to live for Jesus or not? Are you going to give him your all? I want you to notice something there. He is worthy of our all. Would you say that out loud with me? He is worthy of our all. You believe that? I want to change it just slightly. I want to change it just slightly. And it's this. He is worthy of my all. Would you say that out loud with me? He is worthy of my all. Say it again. He is worthy of my all. All. There's nothing I have that he's not worthy of. Uh, Yes, he owns, but he wants me to fully surrender. Say, Lord, everything I have, all of my talent, all of my time, all of my treasure, all of my mind, heart, soul, strength, everything I have, Lord, I give it to you. I want to live for you. He's worthy of my all. 
How many of you know the name Irma Bombeck? You ever heard that name? A lot of you, Irma Bombeck. Irma Bombeck was a hugely popular writer with 15 best-selling books to her credit. She wrote a newspaper column that was enjoyed by millions of people. Her wise and humorous and spotless observations about life amused the readers of this Time magazine. You notice some of her quotes. Housework, if you do it right, can kill you. Why take pride in cooking when they don't take pride in eating? That's something to think about. And then I like the last one. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, You know, she was known for sayings like that, but Irma didn't always have it easy. In fact, from her 20s, she knew that she had an incurable genetic kidney disease. Uh, She survived breast cancer. Near the end of her life, she was on daily dialysis and eventually died from complications of a kidney transplant. But through it all, Irma managed to keep a sense of humor and faith. And she once said, and I want to share this quote with you. She once said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. I used everything you gave me. Isn't that good? God, I used everything you gave me. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to use everything he gave us to bring honor and glory to him. He is worthy of our all. He is worthy of my all. The worthy is the lamb. Some of you here today, you need to take the first step. You need to be saved. You need to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to take that step today. Others, you need to take the second step in your faith. You've been saved, but you've never been baptized. You've never identified publicly with Christ. You need to take that step and be baptized. Some of you need to take the third step as well. You need to join a church. Maybe the Lord's led you to this church. You need to make this your church home. And some here today say, you know what? I've I've been saved and I've I've been baptized and I've joined the church. (coughs) Am I done? No, you're not done. You need to take the next step that God is leading you on in your journey of faith. Maybe some here today need to surrender to full-time ministry and say, God has called me to full-time ministry or missions. Some need to surrender to service. You're not doing much here. In all honesty, you're not serving. You need to step up and say, listen, God, where do you want me to serve and get plugged in and begin serving? Some here need to begin giving, tithing and giving offerings and, and, and supporting God's work. Some need to begin sharing their faith. You're a believer, you love Jesus, but you don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. You don't share your faith. You need to begin. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, I want to say to you, do it. Do it. He's worthy of our all. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Obey. Why? Because worthy is the Lamb. Jesus is worthy of my all. He's worthy of my all. So I want you this week, if you would, to take that phrase with you. Take it with you today. Take it with you this week. Jesus is worthy of my all. And do more than just think about it. Do more than just talk about it. Act upon it. Beginning here. Beginning now. Beginning during this invitation. Saying, Jesus, you are worthy of my all. Take that next step today. Some today need to come and be saved. Some need to come and say, preacher, I want to get baptized. I want to join the church. I want to begin serving. I want to begin doing these things. God is leading me this direction. You come today and you say, Lord, here I am. I give you all. You are worthy of all. Would you do it? Would you give him your all today? Father, we are awed. We are amazed as we've been allowed the privilege to step into your throne room. Revelation four and five. We've been encouraged to stop worrying and start worshiped, start worshiping. And today, Lord, we're encouraged again. and We're challenged to give you everything. You are worthy. And Lord, I believe you're working in the hearts and lives of people today. For those who need to be saved, we'll bring them today. For those who need to go uh, the next step, baptism, church membership, service, whatever it is you're calling. So maybe somebody to full time ministry today. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit to work and move in the hearts and lives of the people here. Get glory to yourself during this time, because, Lord, you alone are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise and honor and blessing. We give you glory. 
And we pray you're leading right now in this invitation. In Jesus' name. Amen. So ladies, make their way to the instruments, please. 185, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. We see it here, don't we? You need to be saved, baptized, join the church, take the next step. We're going to be singing. I'm going to be right down front. I'd love to welcome you today. You can come. I'll pray with you, help you. If you want to come straight to the altar, you do that. But listen, set everything else aside. He's worthy of this time. He's worthy of our lives. Would you be obedient to God today as we stand up and sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, 185.